Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Megan Wright. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Philip Shaw, a grain farmer near Dresden and grain market analyst. Philip provides the market trends update for grain farmers of Ontario, and he has been keeping an eye on the impact of COVID-19. First, a Grain Talk news update. Grain Farmers of Ontario is focused on advocating for government support for grain farmers to keep businesses viable during the COVID-19 pandemic. We are also providing access to resources and information to help our farmer members manage issues resulting from the government emergency measures implemented to restrict the spread of the virus. We are pleased that several members of Provincial Parliament are advocating for support for farmers but we need to see action on a fully funded risk management program with the cap removed. We also need support at the federal level with changes to agri-invest and agri-stability to make these programs more effective. Grain Farmers of Ontario is asking all farmer members to reach out to their provincial and federal representatives to share with them the impact COVID-19 is having on their business and encourage politicians to address the need for support within the grain sector. Grain Farmers of Ontario is reminding all farmers to follow social distancing rules as they continue with planting, especially when interacting with retailers or other service providers. Go to gfo.ca slash COVID-19 for information on staying healthy on the farm. Later on in the podcast, we will get an update from Cosby Devitt on how Grain Farmers of Ontario is supporting our farmer members through this pandemic. The Ontario government has announced it is proceeding with amendments to the pesticide regulations. These amendments reduce administrative burden and complexity by ending Ontario's provincial classification of pesticides and aligning classes with the federal government's pesticide categories. Ontario remains one of only two provinces that restricts the use of neonicotinoid-treated corn and soybean seeds. After five years of these restrictions, The ministry is adjusting administrative requirements on farmers and vendors. The changes retain pest risk assessments and training for farmers and retention of key sales data for vendors while reducing duplicative requirements. More details can be found on the Environmental Registry of Ontario. On April 24th, the United States notified Canada and Mexico of the completion of its domestic ratification procedures for the Canada-United States-Mexico Agreement. That's known as CUSPA here in Canada and referred to as the USMCA in the U.S. Canada and Mexico already provided their notifications in early April. According to the official procedures, the agreement is to enter into force on the first day of the third month following the last notification. So that means CUSPA will enter into force on July 1, 2020. CUSPA marks an important milestone in our trade relationship with the United States and Mexico as it preserves existing agriculture commitments between our countries and helps bring together an already highly integrated industry in North America. As parties progress to implement the CUSMA, Canada will need to ensure a smooth and orderly transition from NAFTA, which is the agreement currently in place, in order to provide predictability and stability for the agriculture and agri-food sector in all three countries. A new Grain Talk agronomy webinar is now available. In this episode, we hear from Mike Cobra, weed specialist at the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. 
Cobra takes us through his weed control checklist, including how to manage glyphosate-resistant Canada fleabane and water hemp. All agronomy webinars this spring have been pre-recorded and are available at gfo.ca slash grain talk. And now, here's my conversation with Philip Shaw. The COVID-19 pandemic is having a major impact on the grain sector, causing interruptions along the supply chain, reducing market demand and affecting market prices. Joining me on the Grain Talk podcast this week is Philip Shaw. He's a farmer and a market analyst. Many of our listeners will be familiar with Philip from his market trends commentary that he provides for Grain Farmers of Ontario. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Well, thank you very much, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here. We like to start our conversations on the Grain Talk podcast, just getting to know our guests a little bit. So let's start with your farm. It's near Dresden in the southwest? That's right. It's in the deep southwest, and I grow corn, wheat, and soybeans here. And I've done it for quite some time now. So I'm 61 years old now, but I used to be a young man. You know how it goes. (laughs) And I understand you were uh, trying to get some corn planted this week. How's that been going? I actually did get some corn planted last night. Uh, We got rain here this morning. Uh, I was waiting on fertilizer all yesterday, but they finally came. And then toward evening, I knew it was going to rain, but I just wanted to get the corn planter in the ground in case there was any, just to get the bugs out. And I managed to do that. So I do actually have corn in the ground here. And there's a, there's a fair bit of corn planted in, in Chatham, Kent right now. So I imagine that that's one of the things that helped with your market analysts is that uh, being able to see what's happening on the ground in terms of uh, how much crop's going in. Yeah, that's important. Uh, I think more myself more as an agricultural economist because I got my master's degree in agricultural economics and business, but kind of a long story how I got to do this. But the amount of corn that's in the ground, whether it's in Ontario, Quebec, or the United States or around the world is something that I have to keep track of because it has a it has a uh, big effect on the price of, of corn that we get here and the price of all grains that we receive here in Ontario. On the marketing side of things, um... You know, you say it's a long story, but why did what got you started? Why are you interested in, in following the markets? Well, I've always been interested in agricultural economics. And years ago, I went to Guelph and I got a bachelor's and a master's degree in agricultural economics, but I farmed as well. And uh, that was back in the 1980s. And I always tell audiences when I speak that, you know, I started out at 23% interest rates and I've been w- working my way down ever since. But I've always had an interest interest in it, and but I never did market commentary, uh, even though I'm trained in that uh, years ago. I used to listen to uh, Brian Deutsch. You may know who Brian was. He used to work at the corn producers years ago, and I always used to think he he did a great job of describing the Ontario cash market for grain and things like that. And then time marches on. And eventually what happened was, is I got a phone call because uh, Brian Doyne's retired. And and uh, I got a phone call asking if I'd be able to take over his role writing uh, market trends. That was many, many years ago now. And uh, so I accepted that and started writing about, actually it was corn prices at the time. And then when the uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario got together and amalgamated all three organizations. I was asked to write about uh, corn, wheat, and soybean prices. And so I've been doing that ever since. And at that time, it was uh, a publication like the Grain Farmer. Uh, market trends only came out about five times a year. And one of the big problems was is that, you know, Markets are very fluid, and you have to keep up with it. And in a print, a print uh, publication, it was a lot of times you'd say something or write something, and then when it came out five weeks later, it didn't make any sense. So 
at a certain point through the history, we went to the website and I matched it up with uh, writing market trends, uh, generally, usually after every major uh, USDA report. So it turns out that uh, I write market trends about 14 times a year, mostly after some big USDA reports that come out because there's a lot of uh, price activities, especially when USDA reports come out. So that's part of the history and how that all happened. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the imprint and being a little bit out of date by the time it gets published, because yeah. there was a time where we, you know, we had some calls from our farmer members saying, what happened to, you know, the market information in the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine? And yes. we're like, well, by the time you get it, it's out of date. You can go online, you know, you can listen to the different updates and, and other platforms. But yet they still wanted to have information in the yeah. magazine, which is why we still have that little uh, note from you every month. I, I do understand the conundrum you're under because some people still prefer that. The big challenge is to is to make it uh, make it relevant to what's going on. And you know, with COVID nineteen that we got going on now, even on the website when I was doing market trends, I think I was published the January report, and then COVID nineteen exploded. And in the little blurb I get in the Grain Farmer magazine, I was able to talk a bit about that. But it's always a challenge to keep this market information current. And, you know, I usually say in market trends that daily market intelligence is key. And what I mean by that is, you know, to effectively market your crops profitably, it's always good that you can you can read a daily intelligence or read different things on a daily basis to try to Keep yourself updated on market swings and prices and what's going on. I know myself, I feel quite a big responsibility to keep it current and also keep it relevant and tangible to Ontario producers uh, because there's not a lot of information about our Ontario cash grain market. And I have found that to be a particular challenge through the years. Now, we, we've mentioned market trends and a new commentary was just posted over the weekend and of course, you're leading with mention of COVID-19. Um, you know, that's obviously been affecting markets for the last couple of months. What have you seen in terms of the biggest impact that this pandemic has had? Oh, my goodness, uh, Rachel. Um, let's start about one. Let's start with one great assumption that has been shattered. <laughs> and that assumption was that, and you've heard farmers say this and, and, other agricultural economists say this, we always assume that food demand was stable, that we could go through almost any recession and we would always say that people still had to eat. And so at the end of the day, this was a good thing because they'd always have to come to agricultural markets because they had to eat. When COVID-19 came, it exploded that assumption. Because I know even myself, I said that many times, because what we found out, as you know, that our supply chain right now is breaking down in real time. You know, we never imagined uh, in Canada where we'd be dumping milk or, or possibly culling piglets or chickens or and having the problems in the beef industry that we have simply because our supply chain has been interrupted by a pandemic. We weren't writing market trends in 1918 and 1919 when the last pandemic uh, uh, swept through. So at every facet uh, of the agricultural economy, we are, we are seeing uh, a disruption. 
you know, a disruption in the fluidity of agricultural markets. And, and agricultural markets tend to be violent anyway. They tend to be violent or volatile anyway, violent and volatile anyway. So what we have seen here has, has been kind of a violent disruption within our markets that's been uh, extremely hard to categorize. And, and of course, it's been very damaging to prices uh, as well. It's been damaging uh, to grain prices as well as livestock prices. A good example of this is the, uh, is the cratering in the energy market. You know, we, when everybody in the world is ordered to lock down, we're not moving around. So you've had this huge uh, decrease in the oil price because of the decrease in demand for oil. It was also piled on a little bit by the Saudis and the Russians getting together and, 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 you know, agreeing to pump more oil at a time when oil didn't even, we didn't need any more. And then we actually had the nearby oil contract go negative simply because there was nowhere to store any of this oil uh, for a very brief time that was coming into the United States. So when the price of oil cratered, the price of gas is cratered and we don't need to because we're not using as much gas in the United States and in Ontario as well. So ethanol uh, cratered as well, the use of ethanol. And of course, that's directly affected uh, the price of corn, which which uh, which Ontario producers receive for their grain. And it's affected other grains as well. So we've had all kinds of issues. And that is that is, you know, that is just in the market. That doesn't that doesn't even take into effect the effect that COVID-19 is having on farmers themselves, as well as, you know, our organization, Grain Farmers Ontario, you're all working from home. Farmers themselves have to keep themselves healthy some way. Uh, farmers back on their farms pick up their parts at curbside. They're worried about their employees. It's just a very, very difficult time. And not only has it been a violent disruption in our agricultural markets, it's just been a, you know, a disruption in society as a whole. And I think the way I described it in the last market trends is, you know, as an agricultural economist, you're always talking about a black swan coming along to change the market altogether. The one I think of was the one I think of the last big one, other than 911 here in North America was mad cow disease, where we woke up one morning and suddenly we found out we had mad cow disease in Alberta and suddenly the borders were shut off for Canadian beef. And you know what a financial hardship that was for Canadian beef producers. This is, of course, totally different. I described it as more like a flock of black swans that keeps on giving, disrupt, disrupting agricultural markets very violently because there really has been no end to this yet. And some people would say there's no end to it until we get a vaccine. So that's what I referred to it as, kind of a flock of black swans that we, swans that we could have never envisioned coming. And uh, I was just like the rest of us. I mean, I, I watched the COVID-19 thing start in China. And in fact, I was even in Asia when it happened. And, uh, I managed to get, get back. But uh, that is part and parcel how it's uh, impacting uh, our agricultural markets. And, and it's not over and it continues today because it still continues to impact whether it's the futures markets or as well as Ontario cash markets, which are highly dependent on, on ethanol for corn and uh, exports and things of that nature. So it's a difficult time, an alarming time for sure. Do you think that it will take a, an extra long time to recover from the effects of COVID-19 on the markets? What do you think will be a sign that we're in a recovery phase? 
there, there's been a lot of talk about how the market might recover. And you know the unemployment numbers that we have and, and the challenges our government leaders have into keeping the economy alive during this time. Um, a lot of people talked about a V-shaped economy, and that's what we all kind of liked. And that what that means is we've all fallen down. We've had economic activity has stopped or has, has cratered to a large extent. I don't know the economic numbers that we'll see, but we're going to have negative economic growth probably in the second quarter of 2020. And so what that means is the economy really slows down. Now it is cratered. And with a V-shaped economy, what we're hoping will will happen is that it comes back as fast as it went. So someday in a few weeks, we wake up and it starts coming back and it gets back to what we considered normal only a few months ago. Unfortunately, you know, it's going to probably not be like that. And it will depend on, it'll depend on how long this, the, the lockdown continues with this virus and and how it manifests itself into the weeks or months to come. One thing about using social media is, is that I've been able to better connect with other people that write about markets in different parts of the world as well as talk to um, uh, other farmers in different parts of the world. And I was talking to an American friend of mine today and, and we were talking about this V-shaped economy and he said he thinks for corn at least, it'll be more like an L-shaped economy. And I, I think you know what that means. <laughs> that mm -hmm. We're Not going down. That's right. So we're going down and we're going to settle on the bottom and we're going to move to move to the right uh, for quite a long time. And the reason he says that is simply because, you know, we've lost so much, Rachel. You know, I, I just was, I can't, don't happen to know what uh, prices are right now for the for the latest futures prices. We were down to 318 on corn or something. I mean, we were down to prices that we haven't seen in 15 years on the futures market. Now our cash levels are different in Ontario. Um, so what he means is, is we have to get ethanol to come back. Well, in order to get ethanol to come back, we have to start driving again. And we have to start driving a lot again. And and we have to start blending ethanol and American gasoline. We have to do the same thing in Ontario as well. Um, I did mention in the last market trends about the impact of on the ethanol plants in Ontario. This of uh, what's going on right now because they're having a hard time as well. Sometimes we don't think about that when we think about the greater greater picture. Um, and so the corn economy, you know, is going to be you know hard pressed until that ethanol demand comes back and we all know the problems that our uh, livestock uh, friends are having with getting animals out the door and 70 percent of the beef processing in canada is offline now oh my goodness rachel so what are we going to do with all those beef animals you know and we're having similar type problems in the livestock sector and vegetable processing things like that so so the L-shaped curve for corn would mean, you know, we're going to be here for a while. I, I don't want it to be that way, but I can see the, the challenges we have because in ethanol alone, we're probably looking at 800 million bushels of corn lost and lost demand alone in the United States, maybe more than that. And that's on a total uh, ethanol yield of about 5.2 billion or something per year. So that's a lot of demand gone. 
And, you know, it's interesting. I get asked to do a fair number of uh, interviews, and I was interviewed a few weeks ago by Ag PhD Media in the United States on rural radio. And, you know, I was saying things like this, and they said to me, well, Phil, do you got anything positive to say? And it was early on. I think they were somewhat, I think they were somewhat taken aback because they weren't as negative as me. And, you know, I said, frankly, guys, I, I really can't. I, I just find this an alarming, dangerous time. And, you know, we used to think, Rachel, that, well, if grain got cheap enough, we use more of it. Well, you know, <laughs> it's not cheap enough yet. Or, you know, if we can't get rid of our livestock and we can't burn it in ethanol, this is a real problem. We've talked a lot about corn. What about for soybeans? What's the market uh, showing in that respect? Soybeans are a little bit better. I've been asked many times over the last few weeks, Phil, you're going to switch over to soybeans because the corn fundamentals are so bad. Well, in fact, I'm not, right? I'm, I'm probably growing the same much, same amount of corn as I did last year. But the two positive things I see in soybeans are getting back to China, 89 million metric tons. That's how much they're supposed to import. And that's more than last year. And to me, that gives us hope because that what that means is that the biggest voracious appetite for soybeans in the world is still likely to keep buying them. Now, they've been buying an awful lot of those soybeans from Brazil. And, but even so, as long as they keep buying, I see that as a positive going ahead for soybean prices. Now, corn and corn to some extent has been dragging soybeans down, but I see that as a positive thing to help us at the end of the day. Because if you look through your crystal ball and say, well, Phil, I think the virus is going to lift and maybe by August we'll be doing not too bad. Well, you know, you know, that's good for soybeans too, but I see China keeping the voracious appetite that they once had. So I see that as a positive for beans. And the other thing is, one thing that I constantly talk about in market trends is the value of the Canadian dollar. Because foreign exchange value is a very big part of Ontario basis levels, especially for soybeans and wheat. It's not necessarily for corn. It still is for corn, but not as a big of a... Uh, component of the basis value for corn. So the Canadian dollar, as you know, has slipped down from about a, oh, almost a two-year range where it was about 75 cents plus or minus a penny and slipped down to 68 cents in March. And on that day, it slipped down to 68 cents. Standing orders for soybeans could be, you could sell soybeans for $12 in Ontario. And you could, for wheat, for instance, it was um, $7.40. Because as the Canadian dollar goes down, that adds to basis values for, for Ontario grain. And so if you think about soybeans themselves, if you think of the value of the Canadian dollar at 70 cents, and you think of cash values right now for old crop around $11.20 or 30 cents, um, that's not terribly less than we had a year ago. And so the soybean complex, at least for Canadian producers, has been holding up uh, a little bit better uh, for soybeans. So I guess I'm a little bit more positive. I see a little bit more, some positive factors for soybeans. Now, I think I'm stretching a bit. <laughs> you know, I think I'm stretching a bit because the soybean prices were, were much higher, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, but in these times, you have to reach sometimes. And uh, that's the way I feel about soybeans. And those are some of the things that, uh, that, uh, 
that I talked about. And also, too, African swine fever might not be as much of an issue as China as it once was. But China is always kind of a smokescreen. We just know that it's a big, voracious appetite for agricultural products. What about the wheat markets? What have you been seeing in respect to those? Interesting. You know, like I said in the last Market Trends report, uh, corn to some extent so negative that it's holding wheat back a bit. <laughs> That's pretty odd when you think about it because usually it's the way around. Corn usually is much more vibrant in price. And, of course, it's it's uh, used for ethanol as well as feed, and it has a better feed value. And so typically what happens if wheat prices are cheap, it tends to hold corn back a little bit because they can substitute wheat and corn in a corn-based ration to some extent. Well, a funny thing happened with COVID-19 uh, is, is that there has been an increase in demand from millers to get wheat, partly because flour has been, as you probably could tell, in Guelph. I don't know if, if they got flour on the shelf in the grocery stores in Guelph, but there's been quite a demand for wheat products, mm -hmm. especially flour as home baking has taken a, 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 has really increased. Now, we're not on per capita. One thing I always like to talk about wheat is the highest, the country with the highest per capita consumption of wheat is Egypt. And I didn't I know that. Think, yeah, and the, another close one is Tunisia. And if if we as a society ate wheat like they did in Egypt, my gosh, we'd all be growing wheat, but we don't do that. And uh, so basically, you know, I wish we could do that, but we can't. You're always hearing about Egypt buying wheat on the market. And I, I've looked into that, actually, if you Google wheat in Egypt and consumption, you'll find about how, how families eat so many wheat products. Uh, but wheat prices have been better. You know, even Chicago, we, we have less uh, soft winter wheat planted, soft red winter wheat planted, which is most of the wheat we have in Ontario. There's less of that planted in the United States this year than or, or all wheat together than, than there has since they started keeping records, which is 1918. And, and it was like that way last year, too. So, you know, we've seen wheat prices in the $7 range here in Ontario and higher. And uh, I've even got standing orders set for above that. And I don't know if it's going to go above that or not. But the point, my point with standing orders, and I say it in, in uh, Market Trends a lot, is you could just place a standing order to sell grain. And if a market goes up or down and it's the middle of the night and you're not watching the market, sometimes these things will hit. And that's exactly what happened when the dollar went down to 68 cents. Uh, a few weeks ago, sometimes those things happen. But wheat prices have been better, partly because, partly because of the demand for flour and wheat prices. Now, the problem with wheat is usually, if you ask that question, is wheat's grown everywhere and planted almost everywhere in every month of the year. I've heard except February, but I've since been told that happens too. So, uh, if we don't have enough wheat, somebody else does. Whether it's Western Europe, the Black Sea or uh, uh, well, the United States and Australia, there's always somebody that produces wheat. So it's a, it's a market that, that uh, is easily satisfied if there's a shortfall. The Americans grow most of the corn in the world, and now the, the South Americans grow most of the soybeans in the world. So what happens in those markets on those, with those particular commodities can have, an, can, can have an impact on price. But with wheat, it's grown everywhere almost and so if they have a problem in the black sea generally that's made up somewhere else sometimes you have the stars come together where there's a lack of wheat everywhere uh, but that hasn't uh, 
that hasn't happened in quite some time, but it's been, it's been better lately. So, you know, I, I guess, I guess if there's any positivity, uh, uh, I know I've been a little bit negative lately, but wheat and soybeans in, in my mind add a little bit more positivity than corn. Big difference with corn is it's always been kind of agronomically superior to the other commodities. We get huge yields in Ontario. Ontario grain growers are awfully good at getting high yields. Our provincial average for corn, you know, it's been up to 170 bushels an acre and more. Well, my goodness, Rachel, that's better than some of the I states in the United States. Mm -hmm. you no, know, I'd like to credit with how good of managers we are, and I think we'll take that. Uh, uh, but there is something to it. I mean, we've been doing a good job, and uh, but we just like to be compensated a little bit more than that. And it's, it's too bad we're in such a difficult difficult spot right right now with regard to these corn prices the canadian dollar is helping it out to some extent but not quite as much it is as it is for wheat and soybeans now one thing you mentioned a little earlier was that you often get asked are you changing what you're planning to plant because of what you're seeing happen in the markets is that sort of an occupational hazard are you second guessing often when what you're planting and, and what you made your decisions on i i often think for me myself i mean the yes, I sometimes you can outsmart yourself, <laughs> especially when it comes to. I think especially when it comes to uh, uh, basis and futures. And I think as Ontario farmers, we have a challenge. And the challenge is to be satisfied with a futures price that we're we're okay with, but at the same time, generally speaking, the Canadian dollar value is fluctuates as well. So sometimes the challenge is to understand. Uh, to get a good cash price that you're satisfied with. In Ontario, we call that flat pricing. And a lot of Ontario producers employed that. For instance, they'll ignore what the futures is as long as the cash flat price in Ontario is good and they can live with that. And I understand that. I never used to, but I understand it now because it's very difficult to capture a low Canadian dollar with a high futures price. It can be done. I've seen it done, but it's rare. And the constant challenge we have as Ontario grain growers is that two layers of marketing. We have to look at the futures prices for grain, but we also have to look at the uh, value of the Canadian dollar that those futures prices are, are changed into Canadian cash values. And there's more to it than that, especially for corn, because it doesn't necessarily translate into an automatic conversion. Uh, and and because of that, when I describe corn basis in Ontario, I talk about uh, how it's related to uh, uh, U.S. replacement price because grain flows in very easily back and forth across the border. In eastern Ontario, a lot of grain will go into Quebec. It would be lovely that we could track all this. Uh, I would really like to construct an Ontario supply and demand table where I could see where all the corn goes and but we haven't had one of those for quite some time I, I'd really like to see one now all the private companies have them uh, but they don't share that with you and that's been a big challenge to me when I was asked to do this many many years ago because <clears throat> I find agricultural futures prices are very easy to understand and look at what is difficult is the is the Ontario cash market the Ontario cash market is very difficult to understand because buyers, they exhibit a certain behavior when they buy corn, for instance, and it's somewhat secretive. 
and nobody talks to each other. And they certainly didn't want to talk to me when I came along many, many years ago. And so I talk to merchandisers constantly, if they'll talk to me, to try to find out what's going on with regard to the basis on corn, because it's important. It's very important. And I try to write about that. But still, it's very difficult to find out everything because there's some things that just aren't talked about. But so I talk to private merchant, merchant, merchandisers. I develop relations with them just to find out what's going on. And it's incredibly interesting, Rachel, but it's not written down anywhere. And <laughs> I, I find that quite a challenge. So to get back to your question, yes, when I know some of these things and when it comes to cash basis, values, especially in Ontario and Quebec, Quebec's probably worse. They'd have less price transparency than we do. Um, yeah, sometimes I know too much and and I don't think I'm any better marketer than anybody else, but I certainly immerse myself in the market factors that, that, that impact these cash prices. What else are you looking at when you are immersing yourself in the markets and, and doing your assessments? You mentioned having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Where else are you going to for sourcing? I have written uh, a weekly column for DTN out of Omaha now for over 34 years. And they are a market service in the United States. And I have a relationship with all their market analysts. And I read, I read agricultural future market information that they have all the time, every day. Uh, I have relationships that I've developed uh, with other people that I do the same thing. And I also have relationships with other uh, agricultural economists and market analysts in the United States, South America, and the Black Sea and Europe, uh, where I ask them specific questions about what's going on in their area and how they feel about the, uh, the prices. Social media has made that a bit easier to do. When I see a source that is good, generally I tend to uh, nurture that. So that's part and parcel of, of, of some of some of how I get my information. It helps with my background as an agricultural economist and it goes right back to grad school where I can disseminate and analyze some of this information and know how supply and demand works. And, and up until today, <laughs> where we got COVID-19, and as I told you, some of my great assumptions have been shattered and we're just having to work through that some of that now. One thing that you mentioned earlier was the uh, United States Department of Agriculture reports and how that sort of also factors into how often you, you know, do an analysis and provide uh, market trend reports. Um, what does that USDA report tell us about, you know, what we should be doing here in Ontario and, and why do we give that so much consideration? Typically, these major reports, when they're announced, there's violent market movement in agricultural futures. So typically our members, Grain Farmers of Ontario and other, are very interested in what the USDA has to say, especially on these major market reports. And I interpret what the USDA says. And what the USDA says, they give comments on the supply of corn, soybeans and wheat, and the demand for each product. So you got ending stocks changing and a whole bunch of things. And depending on what they said in those reports, you see market direction for at least another month until the next one's out. The, the two that are different are the March 30th prospective plantings report and the June 30th actual plantings report. In, in both those reports, they give, they first of all, give their estimate of what's going to be produced. Typically, there's a big market reaction from that. And on June 30th, they typically say what actually happened. And so what I do is comment after those reports. So it's about 14 times a year 
and you can find that on our website. And the way it impacts things in Ontario is, is there's violent price movement generally after these reports. So typically Ontario farmers are very poised with marketing orders, depending on what the Canadian dollar is to do, to either be defensive or offensive in their marketing. And, and I've always felt if I can give them uh, a good analysis of what I think, then it's up to them to make the decision on what to do. And that's how it affects us in Ontario, because it affects agricultural price, agricultural futures prices. And then, of course, back in Ontario, we have the cash market that takes those values and we get basis values that are plus or minus uh, that agricultural futures price. So it's very important, these USDA reports. It, 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 and of course, it's changed through the years too. They aren't quite what they used to be uh, because they were they actually trade futures through the report now. So back when I first started doing this, they didn't do that. They had the report and then two, uh, a half an hour later, they opened the market. And a lot of times the market would crash or go limit up one of the limit down or limit up on that news. Now it's a little bit different and they trade route through those supports and it's still very violent, but it's still very important. Meanwhile, back in Ontario, everybody's watching that and I'm aware of that. And that's why I tried to uh, make it a timely report and, and, you know, because that's what we want for all the grain farmers uh, in Ontario. And that's just a small piece of uh, the information that our organization provides. You've mentioned a couple of times about being active on Twitter. Why do you like to engage on that particular platform over some of the other social media platforms that are available? Well, it's interesting. A former editor with the Grain Farmers, <laughs> she came to me she, and uh, it was actually Lisa McLean. So it was many years ago. It might have even been the corn producers at that time. And, you know, she was a 20-something young lady that was my editor. And, and she says, uh, Phil, I want you on Twitter. And I said, Lisa, I don't want to be on Twitter. And she says, she, was, she wasn't was going to let me go. And she said, Phil, if you want to be a pro, you got to be on Twitter. And I looked at her and I says, okay, so I'll go home. I'll, I'll get on Twitter. So I went home. <clears throat> I told her I didn't want to follow nobody and I don't want nobody following me. 17,000 followers thereabouts <laughs> later. I suppose so, yeah. But uh, if you go down to the first one, you'll find Lisa way down that list. But anyway, I went home and I signed up on Twitter. It was 2009. And within 10 minutes, I knew how valuable it was because I find Twitter indispensable. What it was able to do for me was to engage with other farmers as well as other people that were interested in the market. And, you know, I suppose some people started following me for the content that I have. I would post my market thoughts, my market information occasionally I'll take a quote right out of market trends while I'm writing it and putting it on and put it on. And at that time it just started to explode, which was about 10 years ago. And so a lot of people followed me and I would engage people. And also too, my other colleagues on DTN and Omaha were on there. And so I got to know them a lot better and I got to know other market analysts a lot better. And we would talk about it and they would look at my stuff and I'd look at their stuff. And of course it was, it was, um, you know, there was other farming related information I liked. And what I find is with Twitter, after all these years, it's still indispensable for me. Some people say it's overly negative, but I filter all that out. I use lists very effectively. I find if you use Twitter lists, you make Twitter powerful. And when you make 
Twitter powerful, you make it very valuable to you in any organization that you might write for. But it is useful, and I post the prices every day, and I think some people look for that. I make comments on the Ontario cash grain market, and frankly, you, you'll find very little of that anywhere. You know, it's probably a big challenge for the Grain Farmers of Ontario as a whole just to shine some light on the nuances and of Ontario cash grain pricing because uh, I found it a great challenge of my career writing this to find out more about it and how it works because there's really nothing written down about it, but lots of grain merchandisers know how it works. And I'll, I'll hopefully I'll continue to do that uh, uh, as we move forward, uh, because, you know, uh, if somebody asked me how to do it, I would just say you just have to sit down and try and you have to talk to people. Twitter helps for that to some extent, but it's, I actually phone people up <laughs> and, and, and talk to them and ask, ask them specific questions. And sometimes I get answers and sometimes I don't because, you know, they don't want to tell me. And that's fair. Well, I really want to thank you for all the time that you spent talking with uh, on the Grain Talk podcast today. I'm sure we could have another sure, hour's worth of conversation sure. if, if we kept going here. But uh, um, for, for those who don't already follow you on Twitter, they can find you at Agridome. That's right. Yeah. So thank you once again for uh, joining our podcast today. Well, it was certainly a pleasure to talk with you. I got the extreme pleasure to meet you, I think, a year ago at the uh, March Classic. And uh, my goodness, we didn't have one this year. Hopefully, we'll be, <laughs> we'll be all back there next year and we can put this COVID-19 thing behind us. But it, it has certainly been a huge challenge. And, and, you know, I know it's kind of hard to keep your head up sometime, but, but uh, I guess we'll all get through this. So it's certainly been a pleasure, Rachel. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Joining me on the podcast today is our CEO, Crosby Devitt. How are you doing, Crosby? I'm doing well, Megan. Yeah. Adjusting well to working from home? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks here at, here working from home. And uh, I think, you know, by now we've kind of got our, our new routines kind of figured out in terms of GFO staff and how we work work remotely. So overall, it's it's going quite well, given the circumstances. That's great. So our office, as you mentioned, is all working from home. Uh, so do you have any updates for us on what the GFO team is doing in regards to COVID-19 and how are things going with that? Yeah, so I mean, in, as much as possible, it's business as usual from the GFO side. Of course, all of our staff are working from their homes and their home offices. Um, fortunately, we had uh, pretty up-to-date technology already going into this and uh, that's really helped us through so everything from our phone systems to email to you know video conferencing uh, all of those things are are working well and so the staff and our teams are you know essentially fully functional um, adapting to the new reality of course we can't have face-to-face -face meetings but uh, it's actually quite impressive how everybody's been able to kind of roll with it and, and flex and, and figure out how to, how to make things work. So, uh, so that's, that's a positive for sure. That's awesome. And then going by uh, each department, I know in communications, we've had a lot of stuff going out um, to help our farmer members, let them know what's going on. So you want to take us through some of the initiatives that our office has been working on? Certainly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's no surprise, you know, when this, this uh, pandemic uh, has affected every part of the globe and every sector and, and everyone really uh, on the planet. Um, and so we're no different. So 
you know, it's amazing how far reaching some of the changes are. So if you look at, you know, some of our key areas, you know, our research programs, our market development, our communications and public outreach, um, most of those initiatives involve working with other partners and people and getting out to events or uh, planning meetings and having, you know, everything from field work and field days. So a lot of that has been uh, certainly disrupted. And so a lot of the work over the last few weeks has been looking at, okay, what can we go ahead with and what can't we? And if we can't go ahead as planned, how can we adapt it? So, you know, and a lot of work's been done on the research side, for example, uh, working with researchers that uh, may have to amend their field programs or their lab work or timelines for projects. And uh, it's been, you know, overall, you know, a, a constructive discussions and uh, kind of let's make this work as well as possible attitude right across the board. Um, I think, you know, another area, market development, for example, uh, as we've seen some certain disruptions in markets and changing demand faster than anybody can uh, keep up with, um, it's become even more important to keep as many markets open as possible. And so so really trying to work hard to uh, keep those relations uh, positive, um, both with our domestic uh, uh, buyers and, and processors of grains, but also on the export side as well, uh, as we're, we're all going through some challenging times. And so then uh, you also farm. So can you give us a bit of insight onto the farmer side of how things are going or even just what you're hearing from some of our members? Yeah, so we've been uh, obviously hearing a lot from farmers and uh, keeping up with what's happening right now. And certainly, uh, you know, the, you know, I think farmers coming into 2020 were saying, you know, we've had two challenging years uh, in the past and it'd be really nice to have a smooth 2020. And it's certainly not shaping up to be that overall. Um, but there are some potential positives as we go into spring here. You know, we're sitting here, uh, you know, the end of April, beginning of May, and there's already, you know, corn in the ground and in reasonable good, reasonably good conditions. And so that's a positive, a good head start. Um, you know, we're hoping that we have a good planting season going ahead here. Um, you know, farmers do what they, they need to do. It's been a, been a challenge. It's taken extra time planning coordination, you know, with their input suppliers, with physical distancing and, you know, new rules and ways, requirements to stay safe, uh, as farmers so they can keep their business going. And, uh, so that's been a challenge. Everybody's you know, appears to be able to be making it work. Um, you know, we're, we're watching closely and, and uh, communicating about, you know, potential issues. Things might take longer to get uh, equipment repaired, things like that. Um, supplies of inputs, for example, um, we understand are reasonably well, but uh, there's always a potential for a, for a problem to arise. And so we're really hoping that doesn't happen, but uh but uh, be trying to stay on top of things. Um, the other thing that what we've seen is I think, you know, farmers obviously are part of their integrated into their communities. And, uh, you know, in times of need, when the neighbors and, and uh, are some of our, you know, other Canadians need help, uh, farmers have kind of risen to the occasion there. And so a couple things that uh, have happened on the grain farming side is, is uh, GFO through the board of directors has uh, provided a major $100,000 donation to Feed Ontario, which will uh, provide 
uh, food banks with uh, critical resources throughout the province um, and throughout those com agricultural communities. Um, and we've also seen a lot of the uh, GFO district committees um, provide more local donations into the food banks and uh, to help support some of those those more local need programs as well. And so, you know, despite the challenges farmers are facing right now, they're uh, they're looking out of their own community to try to help others too. So that's uh, that's pretty encouraging and and pretty positive to see. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great to hear some of the positive things going on right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so then is there anything else you want to mention uh, in terms of how we're getting feedback from our farmers or how they can uh, let us know what's going on with on their farms? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, there's a couple things underway right now. Um, certainly, we've been hearing from farmer members, um, you know, through our email, website, phone calls, and we encourage encouraged to hear uh, what impacts uh, they're facing. Um, but we've also uh, just recently launched a survey uh, of members. And so that's directly designed to to fully uh, get direct feedback from farmers on what they're facing. I think we've got a pretty good good handle on on the overall issues, but you've got to make sure, uh, you know, we really understand the scope of things. And uh, some of the things that we are hearing and uh, is that there's a lot of business uncertainty right now, especially when you look at the uh, commodity markets and some hiccups in our, in our uh, grain industry, not, you know, certainly deferring delivery, but also, uh, also the price of things has dropped significantly. And so, you know, even just a dollar, you know, a dollar a bushel drop in the corn market in recent weeks, you know, turns into hundreds of millions of dollars of lost revenue for, for grain farmers in the province. So, so pretty significant there. I think uh, the word of the day is uncertainty. And uh, so that is a big focus right now. All right. That's great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Crosby. Well, thanks, Megan. I guess, uh, you know, the key thing out there is we've got challenges ahead of us. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, a new world. Um, but the key thing is to stay safe and uh, look after yourself and your families. And uh, we will definitely get through this in a positive way. It's just uh, a little uncertain on the way through. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Philip Shaw and Crosby Devitt. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.